Listener Production. In this episode of The Briefing, we take a deeper look at the most popular but polarising Premier in Australia, Dan Andrews. To have been Premier for nine years and the leader of my party for 13 years is a greater set of opportunities than I ever thought would be afforded to me. A kid from the country with only really an aspiration to do good. So that was the announcement from yesterday. He uh, shocked a lot of people, announcing he'd resign within 30 hours. Even though he'd been saying as recently as August he'd served the full term until 2026. But as he said, he changed his mind. And so here we are in this episode. We'll look at his legacy. It's nine years since he came to power in Victoria. And at that time, federal politics was swinging to the right, electing Tony Abbott as the Prime Minister. But Dan Andrews came into office and then created a very different kind of politics. He made left-wing politics popular, going on to win two more elections. So we'll ask, is that just who he was? Were they his values? Or did he just have a very savvy read on the electorate? He wasn't animated by what an editor of a newspaper would write about. He was not steered towards significant decisions with regards to his government by, I would say, traditional media or the usual usual banter you see uh, politicians get sucked into. Conviction politics is the way forward. The legacy of Dan Andrews, that is our briefing. First, let's get into the big news of the day. I imagine some of this news will involve Dan Andrews. Joined by Katrina Blouse, it is Wednesday the 27th of September. Hey everyone, yes, we are staying with the Daniel Andrews news and there's a scramble now to decide the new leader with current Deputy Premier of Victoria, Jacinta Allen, tipped to take the top job. The new Premier is going to be chosen by around 70 Labor State MPs at midday today in a caucus meeting, but it could take up to three days to become official. And uh, Tom, thousands of people are expected to join a massive, what they're calling a celebration rally on the steps of Parliament House to mark his departure. I guess there aren't uh, that many people that will be part of this rally who would have been happy with things like the way he handled the pandemic, for example, or maybe um, his capacity to cancel things that he, he paid big taxpayer money for. Right. Okay. So it's not celebrating all the great things he did. It's celebrating <laughs> that he's gone. I think that is definitely the case. What a weird party that's going to be. If you think about some of the protests and the public um, gatherings that have happened in Melbourne over the last couple of years from the crazy um, protests during the lockdown era, um, the neo-Nazis outside parliament, I wonder what's going to go down this afternoon. I was quite surprised by this announcement and I know that I wasn't the only one. I mean, he gave his party 26 hours notice for any job. That's that's a very short notice period. Apparently, this was so top secret, the announcement that members of his own party um, were only told one hour before the press conference was held. So they really managed to keep a lid on this. It's such a complicated legacy. He was so popular. He won three elections, which is massive um, for any premier. Um, there's a really scathing piece in the Australian Financial Review today from a really good analyst called John Keogh. And he highlighted the high levels of debt that Dan Andrews will leave behind. Um, he says debt is forecast to hit $239 billion by the next election in 2026. And the Victoria has the highest debt ratio of all the states and the worst credit rating. It was downgraded to AA 
during the pandemic. And he says that the debt has quadrupled during Dan Andrews' time in office. And I think that will be a bit of a time bomb for the new leader. Absolutely, especially because um, she's the minister for the Commonwealth Games. So um, Jacinta <laughs> Allen is still facing, if if it is Jacinta Allen who, who does become the new Premier, um, she's still facing some pretty serious questions about the costly cancellation of that. Um, the next election, though, isn't due until November 2026, so still a while away. Super interesting for Anastasia Palaszczuk in Queensland because she's now the only pandemic premier left standing. Mm. Um, she, in a twist of coincidence, recently employed Daniel Andrews' advertising um, campaign guy to run her next re-election campaign. She's the only one left out of, um, you know, the WA's premier stepped down and now Daniel Andrews. And PwC, the uh, embattled consulting firm, is expected to announce a major overhaul today along with the findings from the independent review after the big tax leak scandal. So the review was conducted by um, a respected former CEO, the former chief executive of Telstra, Ziggy Swiskowski. Um, This was all about uh, the confidential briefings from Treasury that PwC then used to try and um, win new clients, corporate clients, to pay less tax. So it's going to be interesting to see what they find. I guess the thing is uh, about PwC, Katrina, that after this all blew up, they sold off their government advisory business for $1. So the part of the business that got them into trouble now no longer even exists at that firm. Yeah, although, you know, what what everyone has said is that this speaks to the culture at the firm and and potential problems with that. I will be interested to see this because a PwC spokesperson has guaranteed that this review and all the recommendations are going to be released in full. Um, they're apparently not going to be edited. Uh, PwC has also separately asked two law firms to investigate this matter. Um, it is unclear whether those reports are going to be released. PwC still has a lot of lawsuits that they're copying from partners who they've previously named as being part of the mm. leak. So they've, they've got a long way to go in this space. Still lots of pain there. And forum site Reddit will begin paying people for viral posts. Um, they're going to start this off in the US. Users will need to enrol in a contributor program and they'll receive their payments monthly based on the amount of karma and gold points that they've received. The social media site will split revenue with people who are awarded gold by other users. And to give a gold reaction, American users will pay a fee of almost $2. I, I have a look at Reddit from time to time. Mm. My brother uses it quite a bit. And look, it is used um, by some of the internet's biggest gaming communities. When this leaked early this morning, people started blowing up about this online. They were saying, look, there's a risk that incentivizing people with real money might influence the kind of content that Mm. gets popular. Um, but others are saying, look, the payments aren't that much anyway. The gold awards start at $1.99 for one gold, up to $49 for 25 gold. But who knows, maybe you could be a prolific Reddit poster and retire hmm. early. Yeah, I wonder if it would swing the culture in a more negative direction. Um, you know, the sort of posts that attract the big numbers are potentially the most controversial. So I wonder 
you know, if it pulls the conversations in that direction. I, I think paying people for their opinions in, in that social media space, you know, on, on the other hand, shows that you value their time. Um, mm. If you're getting revenue from that, you should reward the users that give you that revenue. So this could be a new model for the future. Who knows? Yeah, it's interesting. There's that old saying that if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. <laughs> yes. Some of the other social media sites have started, you know, trying to claw more fees back from their users, um, you know, for verification and things like that. But this is almost going the other way around, um, a bit like YouTube, but you're not having to go to the trouble of <laughs> producing a video. Super interesting to watch anyway. It's, as we said, it's starting in the US, but, you know, as with anything, they may roll it out here if it, if it works out. All right. Catch you later, Katrina. I'm about to go deeper on Dan Andrews. All right, let's get into the story about Dan Andrews, Victorian Premier since 2014. Cos Samaras knows him very well. Cos was a Labor election strategist and now runs his own polling and political consulting company called Redbridge. Cos, thanks for joining us on the briefing. No problem at all. So we've got the reasons that Dan Andrews gave us for his resignation. Do you think it is that simple, that it really was about calling time before he tires of the job? Or is there anything else behind this decision that we maybe didn't hear about yesterday in his announcement? I think we just need to take it at face value. These sort of jobs are probably one of the most difficult in the country. They live the life of a company CEO but don't actually get the pay of a company CEO. Um, And that applies to any premier or prime minister. They don't have a private life. Uh, That toll is obviously felt uh, acutely with family. And you could say with regards to his uh, leadership, um, it's been a fairly hectic, X amount of years whilst he's been at the top of the job. Now, what strikes me about Daniel Andrews as an outsider, and I'm, you know, doing this interview from New South Wales, it's that, especially in his early years, he was one of the very few relatively left-wing leaders or progressive leaders to be extraordinarily popular. I'd love to explore that a bit more with Mm -hmm. you. I guess starting with the basic question, given his track record, is it fair to say that he was relatively left of centre as a leader in Australian politics? Yeah, absolutely. I've known him since we were in our 20s and his politics have, have not really changed. In particular, the, the, the conviction part. So what you all saw on TV with regards to his politics, particularly on social issues and so on, a fairly genuine trait he's had for most of his life whilst in politics. Now, he happened to be the leader, in my opinion, that came around at the right time just as uh, an emerging generation of voters were starting to enrol to vote in very big numbers this generation, which we've all touched on before, uh, now is close to 40% of the uh, number of people who are involved to vote in Victoria. Okay, so you've got a growing number of, of young people making up the electorate. They tend to have more progressive views. But Dan Andrews came to power in 2014, you know, a year after Tony Abbott swung to power, booting out the Gillard-Rudd government. Mm. So on a federal level, we were swinging back to the right and they have the same demographic essentially that Victoria has, but Dan Andrews was able to sell a very different narrative. Why was that? There are some differences be, uh, between Victoria and, and much of the mm. country. So Victoria is, along with New South Wales now, it's incredibly diverse. The number of people that speak uh, another a language at home has in Melbourne, for example, has dropped down to 64%. You know, once upon a time, the, the, the turn of the century, it was up to, up to 80%. So we've got an incredibly diverse state, 
highly urbanised and that trend has accelerated over the last 20 years. When he came to power, he just scraped through over, the, uh, uh, you know, by a few seats. Uh, so it wasn't a huge win. But then over that next four-year period, we saw a, a, a huge uh, explosion in population, but also an explosion in the number of people that were enrolling to vote. And they were overwhelmingly the generation that we've spoken about, but also you know, Indian Australians in very big numbers. You, you had this combination of young millennials and Gen Z who were enrolling to vote, were bringing with them significant progressive politics in terms of how they like to see the state governed, combined with an increasing uh, level of diversity uh, through that migrant intake, uh, skilled migrants in particular, and that Indian community that I've spoken about, they vote about 80% for Labor in Victoria. So it's the best of both worlds for him when it comes to that. Yep. Okay, so you've got a few factors that we can separate out there. One, you spoke earlier about his actual values as a human being or as a, as a political human being. You're talking about the type of electorate that you have in Victoria and, and what they wanted. And then you've got the unique skills or abilities of, of this man. Let's accept the proposition that he hit a sweet spot because he won three elections in a row. Did he just have the right values for that electorate or was he someone that really tuned into polling and really crafted his policy positions to meet that electorate? Why do you think he was so popular as a progressive leader? Yes, I would say he had the right values for the right time and for a, a, an emerging electorate that we've been, we've been talking about. But more importantly, he had, he's had obviously very good communication skills and, and you can really only pull that off as a politician if you believe genuinely in your heart on issues that you're talking about, you believe in them genuinely. And that, that allows you to be a little bit more natural and relaxed and more willing to defend the position as well in a very genuine way. So he, one of his biggest strengths was his ability to communicate in a forthright, genuine manner which uh, cut through mm. with a lot of voters. Yeah, he had a way of handling the critics as well that, that seemed to work. When he was backed into a corner, he seemed to be able to fire up without alienating people somehow. Yeah, that's right. And you could see even when he was under attack by conservatives or parts of the media, he always understood that his electoral coalition is a bit different. So many of them don't consume traditional media. They will overwhelmingly listen to podcasts, uh, access information very in a very different manner to what previous generations have. So he wasn't really animated by, I would say, established media like previous politicians and even current politicians um, are. He always understood that you reach uh, the public through uh, um, other means. And one of the big talking points in Victoria was just how big he was on the internet, so to speak. His social media reach was huge. You know, he could easily put out a message to a million people at any given time and that was an incredible tool at his, at his disposal. What will stick in a lot of people's memories how he handled the pandemic and I think mm. obviously people have very different views on that, especially people who actually lived out those lockdowns in, in Melbourne and I, I know people who had that experience don't like hearing other people from other states be critical of the way it was handled but it will be a big talking point for Dan Andrews' legacy. And I sense that if he didn't have the popularity going into those very controversial decisions, he might not have been able to survive them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, again, even during that period, you know, being someone who actually was in Melbourne and, and locked down and um, he was able to communicate again using that forthright, genuine manner, wasn't into allowing political games to be played around his messaging. Uh, there were mistakes made and, you know, we talk about legacy when people look back on on during that that couple of years of of the state's history, uh, there were parts of Melbourne, for example, that suffered enormously when it came to lockdowns and the economic impact. We saw the ramifications of that at mm. the last state election, with very big swings against Labor in the in its heartland. That those wounds will st- will be present now for for years to come, and then whoever the next premier is going to be is going to have a very very significant hurdle to overcome, because one they won't have. You know, they're all very skilled, but they won't just won't have his communication skills. And two, um, they will need to work out a way to distance themselves from that era uh, to be able to actually ensure that they don't continue the slide and we have a situation where the Labor Party begins to lose seats in safe seat territory. Yeah, I think what I was hinting at with that last question was that for those of us outside of Victoria, it was hard to understand how he was still popular given how tough those decisions were on so many people and and how much so many people hated them basically. But he was able to hang on and win that election last year. But you're saying that there are still a lot of wounds because of those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So it isn't all all upside. So if you're working from home in Melbourne, if you look at the results from the last state election and very, very comfortable wins and good swings to the Labor Party where the greatest number of people working from home were present. So it, Melbourne's in the eastern suburbs, uh, from a lockdown perspective, may have been psychologically strainful, but from a from from an ability to to um, to stay at home, work from mm-hmm. home, and not, not suffer the consequences of lockdowns when it comes to losing your job and so on, those areas performed really well for Labor because they really, from an economic perspective, did, did not suffer as much as those in the outer west. Mm. Uh, so there is a nuanced story to be told there, and that's an area that needs to um, needs to be, I think, treated with a bit more complexity because it, it is it is a it is a different picture on the ground. Right. Okay. So surviving the next election after the lockdowns is not the end of the story on no. the impact of those policies. Okay. Well, speaking about his impact, what do you think the Dan Andrews persona, the Dan Andrews experience in politics? says to other politicians around Australia as they try and read the tea leaves on on Australia, um, its changing electorate and what it really wants from our political leaders. If anyone is paying attention to, to, to how he conducted himself, he wasn't animated by what an editor of a newspaper would write about. You know, that didn't really animate him. He was not steered towards uh, significant decisions with regards to his government by, I would say, traditional media or uh, the usual usual banter you see uh, politicians get sucked into. Conviction politics is the way forward, but it also uh, we talked about the younger generation. Well, that's that's the future and uh, we, we are seeing that generation, for example, in Queensland steer heavily towards the Greens because they're not getting that brand labour. In, in, in particularly parts of Brisbane, mm. so they so in our recent most recent poll in Queensland, the Greens were out polling both major parties um, amongst voters between the age of eighteen and thirty four by a significant number. Well, that goes back to the the deeper question we're getting at here, which is how popular are left wing 
leaders and, you know, you think about those early years of Dan Andrews' time and what was happening at a federal level where we actually swung to the right, Labor have often been scared at a federal level not to lose votes to the right and have stayed very much in the centre. But as you're saying, what's emerging is uh, a sort of an open flank on the left that the Greens are starting to take up. Yeah, absolutely. And we could apply that to the federal politics quite easily now. The pathway to victory for federal Labor at, at last year was through a narrow narrow road, which included most seats that you would define as being highly educated electorates. So Higgins, Benelong, Reid, those sort of electorates. Then coupled with holding onto seats against the Greens, seats like McNamara and Cooper in Melbourne, all these seats now will become more and more under pressure from that left flank. Uh, and given Labor is no longer hunting for those coal seats, so to speak, they're going to need to be a bit more um, Dan Andrews and less, I would say, pragmatic centralist sort of um, of a political party going forward. Cos Samaras, a man with a very good read on the electorate himself, runs a polling company called Redbridge. Interesting that he said there that some of the scars of the lockdown will still cause damage for Labor in Victoria. And obviously some of those scars will be the huge amount of debt the state is in. Um, That will be a massive challenge for the new leader. But the other really interesting point Cos made was the changing demographic in Victoria, and it reflects what's going on around the country, the rise of diversity in our population, and also the increased proportion of Gen Y and Gen Z in the voting bloc. So there's a lot more younger voters who have very different values from their parents. And the Liberals in Victoria seem to have no idea how to get their stuff together and appeal to that voting bloc. So that makes the job of the Labor Party easier in Victoria. But that will be very interesting to see if if any of those dynamics change in the next couple of years heading into the next Victorian election. Listener.